On February 9th of 2004, 21-year-old UMass student Maura Murray drove from her dorm in Amherst, Massachusetts to the White Mountains of New Hampshire. At approximately 7.27 p.m., Maura spun out her 1996 Saturn on a hairpin turn on Route 112 in North Haverhill. There has never been a credible sighting of Maura since. Maura is 5 foot 7 inches tall. She weighs 120 pounds, and she has brown hair and hazel eyes. If you have any information regarding Maura's disappearance, please submit it to us, the Murray family through their Facebook page, or the New Hampshire State Police Cold Case Unit. This is Missing Maura Murray. Welcome back to the Missing Maura Murray podcast. I'm Tim here today with Lance. How are you, Lance? I'm doing very well, Tim. It's good to be here, nestled again in the Crawl Space Studios. And we have a really special episode here. And I'm very excited that the uh, listeners get to hear it. Yes, it's a great episode. And uh, so we, we hosted Kurt Murray in our studios here a few weeks ago. And uh, what follows is a really interesting conversation, compelling and heartfelt, really. And, there, you know, there's, there's a lot going on in this interview. It's just uh, a lot of information, but all, obviously you get to know Kurt a little bit more and get to understand what his sister's disappearance has meant to him. Not only her disappearance, but what she meant to him as a person he gets into a lot of uh, some family matters that he had been emailing with us and telling us that he wanted to talk to his family first and make sure that it was okay that he said these things Uh, he was just getting a little bit tired of sitting on the sidelines and he felt that it was time now for him to be more of a spokesperson for for Mora for the family and for the disappearance and he felt like this was a good platform to do so so we were actually uh, humbled and, and honored to have him come in and talk to us Okay, so we hope you enjoy it. Please follow us on Twitter. We're there at Maura Murray Doc. We're also on Facebook and Instagram at Missing Maura Murray. So thank you very much. We'll be back in two weeks. So here we are with Kurt Murray. How are you today, Kurt? Excellent. Happy to be here. Thank you very much for coming down to the uh, the studios. It's really uh, really cool to to have you here, and uh, it'll be nice to just have an in person conversation. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I wanted to come here because there are so many people out there that have put so much time, energy, and devotion into this process and trying to find Mara. I wanted to give them a little bit of a you know open up the personal book a little bit, and you know I have no way of repaying these people for everything they do for us. So the only thing I can do is give them a little insight into me, my family. And, um, you know, give them some perspective. And, again, thank you so much for making your way out here, for agreeing to do this. It feels like it's been such a long time coming. Um, When was, uh, what what was it that kept you from our first dialogues? What was it that kept you from from actually pulling the trigger and and coming out here and sitting down with us? Um, It's a little bit, you know, apprehension. You know, it's a little weird to put yourself out there. I've always been pretty shy. It's not something that's normal for me. But as this whole process has gone on, I've realized 
this whole thing is not about me or how I feel. It's about finding my sister. So I'll do anything that I need to do, including coming out, doing interviews, meeting people, towards that end. So I've finally broken that barrier and I'm comfortable being out here. So where do you want to begin? We can probably begin with, I can give people an insight into what this whole process has done to me personally, because I feel that question constantly. It's like, I can't imagine what you're going through. What have, what have you been through with this whole thing? Well, why don't I tell you? Yeah, that's a message you get uh, from people you know or from people online? Or... Online, people I know, people I meet throughout the process. Mm-hmm. Um, but I feel like that would give people some insight into me. And uh, then, you know, I can let you know a little bit about my family, maybe my mother. Please, um, some, yeah. You know, a character reference for Fred, because there's one thing that a lot of people do not know when it comes to this case is that Fred Murray is not my father. He's not my biological father. So I actually have no relation to Fred other than his relation to my siblings. I'm a half-sibling of all of them. So I want to speak to his character because I have an excellent relationship with him despite that. Do you get frustrated when you hear people reference you as Fred's son? I mean, not not frustrated in a way where it's insulting to you, but do you just get frustrated in a way where you uh, see that they are not equipped with all of the facts? Um, it's not so much frustrated with the factual part of it. It's um, it's awkward sometimes. You know, when I'm out there and I'm speaking to people, it's like, oh, your father this, your father that, and it's weird, and I don't correct people because mm-hmm. it's a strange situation. Um but, you know, seeing Fred and I together, you really wouldn't know yeah. because we have that good a relationship. It's really hard seeing you two together and not saying, oh, there's Fred's son, Curtis. It, it feels unnatural to say that there's, you know, his, uh, his stepson. Yeah. And, you know, it's, it's interesting because I'm a living, breathing example of the end of Fred's marriage. I came to be right after my mother and he were separated. So for him to be as gracious to me and inclusive over the years and the fact that I have such a good relationship with him is just testament to his character you know we've seen him dragged through the mud and you know people have had their opinions of him but I have a different perspective because he's not my father and I you know like for instance I know how to throw a curveball because Fred taught me how to do it I know how to build a campfire Fred taught me how to do it uh, that stems because when I was a kid um, my father was not able to be a part of my life due to a tragic circumstance from about the age of four till 13 14 and in a big way, all of my siblings, Fred and my mother, stepped up to steer my life in a good direction. So he embraced uh, the father role with you at, at some, to some extent. Yeah, he's never, ever made me feel as if I wasn't included. He invites me to everything. He, he's never made it feel weird. Like a lot of people would keep me at arm's length because it's a bad reminder of yeah. a tumultuous time in his life. Right, amazing, exactly yeah. what you said. You are a, a physical manifestation of the end of his marriage. So what's your what's your memory of how the marriage ended between Fred and and your mom? I think it just ran its course. I think, you know, they had the four kids together. I think my mother wanted another kid and he didn't. I think that caused a problem if I um if what I've heard is correct. But, you know, there was just a separation there. Um I just know that Fred was never around other than to pick up the girls. You know, it wasn't like he was routinely over the house or anything like that. So you were you weren't actually born when the breakup between Fred and your your mom took place. No, I was conceived after the separation. See, I feel like that's a big misconception that's out there is that people think that your mother was pregnant with you and that's what split. No, I came after that. And that's that has nothing to do with it. Great. Good to know. Yep. Um, I I really think it's a 
pretty amazing that uh, Fred's behavior and, and the way he treats you and everything, and as you said, he includes you and you never felt like you weren't uh, part of the family. I think that's incredible. And like you said, it speaks to his character. I don't know a lot of people who would do that. No, I, it's, that's exactly right. Yeah. I mean, for him, I, he's a huge part of my life. I have, you know, I go out to dinner with him constantly. You know, we're, he's the reason I'm into craft beer now. He's a big beer snob. Got me into it. Like South Shore style pizza, all that. Our family thing is to go on Christmas and holidays and get a bunch of pub style pizza from Massachusetts and hang out and drink craft beer. And it's awesome. I think we (laughs) need to, you need to further define what a pub style South Shore pizza is because we have, we have listeners all over the world. All right. So it's those roughly about 12 inch pizzas. Um, The original one was the Linwood and Randolph. Crispy crust delicious sauce it's just like nothing you'll ever have it's uh you'll only get it around here once you have it you'll never go back <laughs> really Gee, i didn't know i did not know about this yeah there's, there's another one in um oh, what is it it's uh town spa Stoughton? town spa yep. yeah cape cod cafe is another one no Those are, like, famous yeah town spa is great how have i lived in massachusetts for, like 25 years and not known that you have to go to the south shore <laughs> right. I, I have honestly not spent a lot of time on the South Shore from a little north of the city. Very but, typical people the, on the north of Boston, yeah. like Medford, will. It, it takes a lot. You, like you'll go through, you'll pass underneath the, uh, like you, you, you'll pass by uh, like exit 18, I think is like yeah. about as far south as you go on 93. Unless you're going to the Cape, I guess. Yeah. But yeah. It all, you also get that with the western part of the state. No, no one from That's the eastern true. part go, visits the west unless they have to. That's true. That's yeah. true. It's not like they don't love each other. It's just they just don't visit each other. Just don't visit each other. <laughs> <laughs> Long distance relationship. Yeah. <laughs> but what can bring them together is a good yeah pub pizza. A hell of a pizza, right? So you you entered into the Murray family, and there was already Fred Jr. Yep. Uh, Kathleen, Julie, and Maura. Yes. Okay. Yeah. And how was your relationship with them? Excellent. Great. It's, uh, my, you know, there's so much love in our family. Like, you know, we've never had any issues with our relationships. We've always been very close. I would lay down my life for any one of my siblings at any moment because it's, they're my family. Yeah. That's what you do. And the fact that I'm a half sibling has never even entered the equation. It doesn't matter. Yeah. You know, so we've always been extremely close. Okay. And you said you wanted to speak a little bit about Fred's character. You did, um, you know, in regards to how he's treated you. What was his character in regards to the family dynamic not having a, a mom first through divorce and then through death? What was his how did how did he provide for the children then? How did he treat them and what was his what was the ethic that he instilled, if anything? Well, I mean Fred just he had a healthy way of encouraging his kids to pursue what they were good at. You know, so people have people have spun him to be this overbearing you know, drill sergeant of a coach or whatever. He was never that way. I used to go out with those girls and them and train. They'd, they'd be training, I'd be with them. They'd, you know, be babysitting me, Fred would take me up. So he always made it a point to provide for them in a way that was healthy, that would better their lives, but he never pushed them more than they pushed themselves. Like, yeah. for instance, he spent a ton of time with Mar and Julie because they were, you know, athletes, track stars, everything else. But he did it because they were good at it, mm-hmm. and he didn't have to push them. Those girls are maniacs. They were right. both maniacs. They she didn't. They didn't need any motivation. Yeah. Um, he just held, you know, supported them in a healthy way. Yeah, that's what he said on the Oxygen Show. Is that he uh, encouraged them? He's like, you got to encourage kids when you see that they like something. And Fred's like an encyclopedia of sports knowledge and everything else. There's, it's amazing. Um, you know, whether golf, you know, baseball, basket doesn't matter. Um, he's pretty amazing in that regard. 
So anything that they wanted to do, he was able to come up with a way of, you know, teaching them and perfecting their skills or whatever. But he yeah. never forced it. I right. do know that. Actually, you uh, said something off, uh, like outside of the microphones when we all first started communicating. You said that Fred was almost too passive. Yeah. So he would be submissive to the girls and like, where do you want to go? Where do you want to train? What do you want for your running shoes, this and that? And he would never put his foot down and tell them you're getting this. And that would make them angry. <laughs> they used to get annoyed with him because he was too laid back about it. He wouldn't <laughs> assert himself. And uh, the girls would get kind of annoyed with him for that. It was pretty funny to watch. <laughs> Which is totally against the type that's put out there. The, the type of uh, image that's put out there of Fred. Which is that, you know... I mean, the, the image that's put out there is like... They weren't going to buy that shoe without his full approval. Yeah, right. And that's definitely not the case. He was the exact opposite <laughs> to the point where they literally got extremely annoyed with him. It's like, Dad, just pick something. You know, so <laughs> it was it was funny to watch. Yeah. And Tim said uh a second ago that it's pretty rare you said you didn't really know anybody who you would do something like that, just take on uh the the child from his ex wife's marriage after their marriage had, had fallen apart. And it it does say a lot for someone, anybody, whether it's a dad, a mom, or whomever. It says a lot about their character to do that. And I have met people who have said, no, we get along. We get along just fine, which you know, you know, it's like, no, you there's got to be some awkwardness. Maybe you get along fine during holidays. Maybe there's no spoken animosity, but you can tell that there's probably something underlying and even you saying i mean we would be able to sense that there would be something like some underlying thing some 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 time where he made you feel uncomfortable but i don't even get that sense that there was no. a single time that he would have made you feel uncomfortable. he even references like he asked me to back him up on things when we're out you know in groups and stuff he'll look to me to give him you know a backup and people wouldn't know that we weren't related in that way yeah. unless i told them you know. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. And just seeing you guys together, the interaction between you, Fred Jr., Julie, and him, and even Julie's husband, you know, it's all, you wouldn't know. You know, there's no, I look at, I, I honestly like look at you guys and I'm like, why is my family that cool? You know? <laughs> really? Yeah. I mean, our relationship Just kidding. Great. My family's cool. Uh, you're, under the, you're under the bus now. You did it to yourself. <laughs> I did. I'm sorry. <laughs> so talk a little bit about growing up with the sisters. Well, they love to torture me i was like their uh <laughs> like their little doll for years because i was so much younger than all of them so i had roughly four mothers in the house um that was very interesting and they all took an active role in kind of raising me and um you know bringing me out to places and you know teaching me things what's so special about my relationship with all of my siblings is when my father went away and i could not have him around they all stepped up to steer my life the way it's been like i would be a much different person had they not done that you're talking about your biological father yes okay yeah um and that was by you know there was a a tragic circumstance and i won't go into it because out of respect for him but the way that they stepped up for me that's part of the reason why this hunt for mara is so important to me because if she in particular stepped up in a huge way in making sure that she was a big part of my life i learned things like Firm handshakes from R and Julie. Look someone in the eye when you talk to them. I learned that from R and Julie. Kathleen was always there for me to bring me out. And we used to go to McDonald's and get like fajitas. 
those chicken fajitas they used to have. Yeah. And she used to bring me out on little adventures in her car. And like, they all had such a positive impact on me. I'd go snowboarding with Freddie or, you know, you know, all sorts of stuff like that. But, um, the reason Mara is in particular important to me is I spent so much time with her. We'd go, you know, to Wampatuck to go running. I'd ride my bike with her. We'd go to my grandmother's house who my grandmother is the most saintly woman you could possibly imagine. Uh, that's another huge part of our childhood. And, if I hadn't had Mara in my life, I may have gone in a completely different direction. She really took the reins and steered me in a good direction, gave me a good role model. So I owe her everything for that. What's the age difference? Six years. Okay. Between yep. you and Mara. Mm -hmm. Okay. So that's when she went missing, she and I, the age gap was starting to bridge. I was 15, she was 21. We were starting to get really close and relate more at mm -hmm. that particular moment in time. And um, that's what makes it hard is because I was just starting to really get to know her and then she was gone. And then you'd mentioned uh, previously when we spoke with you that it kind of took you a while to come to terms with that or really kind of, uh, you know, grasp that she might not be coming back ever. Yeah, there was there was a definitive moment, actually, when that when that hit me. And it took me to be at one of the lowest points I've been in in my life. Um, in particular, so February 4th of 2009, my grandmother on my father's side tragically passed away in an accident, in a car accident. She was in her 80s. She was doing fine got in an accident and passed away suddenly. And that was kind of strange for me because when my father went away, his side of the family, there was kind of a rift there. My mother tried to shield me from them because it was, she thought it would be painful for me. So that was a big life lesson because I never fully got to repair that relationship. And then the week prior to that, I literally drove by her street, was going to stop in and said, no, nah, I can go back next week. It'll be fine. And then all of a sudden she passed. You fast forward three months to the day that that happened mom passed away on Mara's birthday. And that was, I pretty much, when I got out of high school, I decided to stay home and work. I worked at Lowe's and it was 10, 12 minutes away, five minutes if I put my foot down because she was sick and she needed somebody there. So I stayed around to be there. So I basically centered from 15, 16, all the way to roughly 2021 20, around that. So when she passed away, all of my focus and direction kind of vanished. Um, on top of that, I was dating someone at the time who I thought I was going to marry. Um, it was the only person to date that I've ever put a down payment on an engagement ring for. I was convinced things worked out. This would be it. I was ready. Fast forward about six months from there, that got screwed up too. I lost her. So that's probably the most pain I've ever been in. I was confused. I didn't know what I wanted to do with my life. And my friends and I made it a point to go to New Hampshire few times a year, we went to a resort up there and uh, party a little bit, had some fun. And I routinely would go to the to the crash site, to the bow. And I think it was probably that summer, um, I went there and I remember going there and I was angry. I was very upset. I went there and I was, you know, Mara, where are you? How could you leave me to deal with this? I, I, like, I need you. How could you just run off? And it hit me like a ton of bricks. She's not. She didn't run. Mara wouldn't leave me to deal with this. She didn't run away. She's gone. I'm probably never going to see her again. And then came the guilt. What have I done about it? Which is why I'm here now. So at the tree, this was in uh, the summer of 2009. Yeah. Um, and you, you said you were angry. And that was, all of a sudden you found yourself being angry at Mora. And then you were angry at... Myself. Okay. 
I was angry at myself because, first of all, how could I think that she would run away? It was, Mara wouldn't have done that to us. We were all too close. There's no way it would happen. It just couldn't happen. So I had been so distracted. That was the first time I was stripped of all that distraction, where I looked at it with, you know, undistracted eyes and was like, oh, my God, like, what have I been thinking? Why did I not realize this sooner? And then you realize, I haven't put enough effort into being up here, to searching, to digging in and finding her. She deserves it. Had you always thought up until that moment that she had run away? It was always in the back of my mind, but I didn't have time to focus on it. You know, I was focused on mom and everything else and, you know, discovering girls and whatever, um, and getting through high school, everything else. And even high school from this whole thing got kind of screwed up for me. Right. Um, But as soon as I didn't have all those distractions, it made me focus on my relationship with Mara and who she was. And Mara wouldn't have run. She cared too much. If you had seen her with me as a kid, how she injected herself into my life, how much she cared. She knew mom was sick. There's no way she would have left. It's just, it wouldn't have happened. So it sounds like the, uh, you know, your sister going missing and, and the whole process of coming to terms with that and trying to figure out what happened really confused you to no end uh, for the, those first few years. And, um, you know, your emotions were all over the place and it's understandable and there's no handbook in dealing with that, you know. Yeah, you never know how you're going to react to something until you're put in that position. Yeah. And yeah. dealing with that has been one of the most confusing things I've ever had to encounter. Yeah. I mean, uh, your mom passed from cancer. Yeah. So she... And she had a long battle with it. Yeah. She she battled for a little over five years and uh, I had a front row seat to that. That's insane. And anybody who's... Thing who, who, who will ask, where was Curtis during the early years of the search? Anybody who's ever had somebody who's passed from cancer knows that that time is, you don't even realize how consumed you are with that. It's like, it's, it's like you have it as well. And then once that person finally passes, you don't even know what to do with yourself for months. Yeah. You, you, yeah. You, all of a sudden you don't have that. Well, the, your direction is suddenly you don't have any. You don't right. have any yeah, and that's, thing to do necessarily. That's yeah. what happened to me. It's like I was focused on my girlfriend, my mom, and then all of a sudden all of that is stripped away. Yeah. And it's just, what now? You have time now. Yeah. And you can really focus. Mm-hmm. Or self-destruct. Yeah. Which, yeah. thank God, I, did, I decided not did to not. do that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Right. <laughs> it sounds Impressive. like you had a good support system. I did. Yeah. I really absolutely did. Yeah. In the documentary, Kathleen was kind of spun in sort of a negative light. Um, I feel like people knowing her backstory a little bit and understanding why she drank and how all that came about and how it affected our family is important because my sister Kathleen is one of the sweetest, most endearing, awesome people in the world. She was, when she was younger, she was like a gifted artistically. She can do anything, sculpt, draw, paint, anything artistic. She can cook, wood carve, you name it. Um, She had a lot going for her back when she was got out of high school going 19 or so. Um, so when she was around 19, um, she had a boyfriend who she was engaged to. They'd moved in together. She was ready to give her, give her life to him. Um, and she, she, she was totally in love with this guy. Um, one night she, they got in a big, you know, drag out argument and she took her engagement ring off and left it on the counter and came home. I remember coming home from school the next day to find Kathleen sitting on the front step of the house and I knew something was up. She was sitting with a blank stare, kind of almost catatonic, just sitting there with headphones on, 
it was something off. So I remember I sat down next to her. I think I was probably eight or nine at the time. I said, Kathleen, is everything okay? And she looked at me with kind of a, just a blank look and said, no, my, my boyfriend hung himself last night. And he essentially blamed her for it. In a note or something? Yeah. Oh, my God. And that took her and derailed her life. She, would, she just crushed her in a way that you cannot imagine. So, you know, she, she spent a stint, you know, with mental issues. And then when she got through that, it was self-medication. That's where the alcohol came in. And that was a huge roller coaster where she was suicidal for a bit. You know, it just, I don't, I, as an adult now, I can't even fathom dealing with something like that. You're ready to give your life to somebody and all of a sudden they're gone and you're blamed for it. I, I feel like this is just a key point that we have to really uh, articulate. Too many people out there have just written Kathleen off as the black sheep of the family. And and it's just too easy to say of anybody really like, oh, they're an alcoholic. Oh, they're an addict. You know, it's just too easy to say that. But that's a circumstance where that is a legit mental it's a trauma. Trauma. Yeah. That yeah. that is that is a, a legit thing to to hold all of that guilt that yeah. you are responsible for someone else taking their life. Not to mention it's who you wanted to give your life to. Add yeah. that layer to it. Right. It's it it literally took her and derailed, it ruined her life. She could have done anything with her life, and it just turned into a, a cycle of self medication, rehab, get out. And that's why when people talk about the phone call that Mar had with Kathleen, we had been dealing with this for close to a decade. We watched our sister go into a downward spiral, and she just self-destructed, and there was nothing that we could do about it. I just want to point out, sorry to interrupt, I just want to point out, with Kathleen, seeing her in the the documentary, The Oxygen Show, seeing her in uh, articles or blog posts, and just writing her or anybody else off as... Oh well, they know. So I could tell. I could tell just by what I read, or I could tell just by watching her that oh, she knows more. Like yeah, she knows more. She she knows more. She's not she's not saying the fact that the reason why she's been in and out of recovery is she feels a hundred percent responsible for someone else that she was going to give her life to committing suicide. And that's not for public consumption. So you're saying because when people say, oh, it looks like she's hiding something, it's not like she's hiding something about that phone call that, that uh, you know, a few days before more right. went missing, but perhaps she's hiding some tragedy in her past, her Maybe personal she's, life. Maybe she's got some ghosts, like she's yeah. got something going on. And that it goes for her and it goes for other people that I'm not going to mention, but we hear people talk about other people who are a part of this and they say, oh, I saw him on there. Oh, he's just, he's hiding something. It's like... Well, you don't know the whole story. Yeah. And that's something that you just have to be fully aware of and open-minded about. Yeah. It, it makes such a difference in giving you a perspective into who she is. And she's grown so much over this process that I asked her if I could talk about this. Yeah. And she gave, yeah. Me, she, she gave me the permission to come and to speak about that. It took a lot for her to do that. It took a lot for her to go out in public on the documentary. Yeah. She's very shy and ashamed in a lot of ways of that, that cycle. Yeah. You know? And that just goes to show is she hiding something? She's telling you. She goes on the documentary. She's telling you you can do this. So that's someone who's hiding something. I'm turning into Lancey Grace now because I'm getting upset <laughs> about this. But you know, that's that's what uh, people just want the 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 that story that like yeah. detective novel well, story. I'm, I'm glad it's out in the open because I think the the 
point of view that the TV show took was, you know, that perhaps Kat did know why Mora left, or perhaps there was more on that phone call or something. And so they, as you know, they set up the surveillance in the, the room next door um, and, and you know, were, were kind of analyzing some of her uh, body language behaviors and things like that. But it's it's super awkward, you know, oh, uh, to to to, uh, to do that and and to work with you guys too, like for the show to have uh, done that and then worked with you and just not really grasping that Kathleen had been dealing with emotions that had nothing to do with this, you know. Yeah, and, and it's, so yeah, she's just inherently shy. Like that's yeah. a condition of being a Murray. We're yeah. all just kind of reserved, shy, introverted, and to an extent. And um, so for her to even go on that yeah. show was extremely difficult for her and I knew it. So for her to have to encounter that and be spun in that light, I, that's why I want to tell people the story because yeah. she deserves to be defended from that. Yeah, yeah. Because that's not my sister. Kathleen is, like I said, she's an absolutely wonderful human being. Um, you could not ask for a better sister, you know, and I didn't want people to have that impression of her without getting the full story. I think with the full context, it's it's obvious uh, that she's not hiding anything regarding the disappearance of your sister. She dealt with three tragedies, not just one. I mean, I know yeah. we, we just talked about the one, but since then, there'd be two, two other ones to your family. So. Yeah, and that's why when people you know talk about that phone call it's not hard for me to believe with everything that mara went through leading up to that period of time you know she mm-hmm. made some stupid mistakes mistakes that young people can make mm-hmm. nothing really crazy nothing evil or you know but um she was going through a lot she had a ton of pressure on her and i also know that mara was very afraid of disappointing people so internally she must have been struggling i i'm the same way there's nobody that's going to beat me up more about something i've done wrong than i'm going to so when she got that phone call and with everything else she was going through, it would not be hard for me to believe that that was just the one thing she could not take anymore because we went through that. She got out of rehab. Oh, I'm going to get my sister back. I can talk to her. She can be there for me. And then to find out she immediately was back drinking again was just enough to push her to need to get the hell out. And do you hold Cat's uh, ex, Tim, to blame for some of that? Or oh, is that, yeah? Yeah. I mean, they were, they mutually enabled each other. Yeah. You know, um, Tim was definitely an alcoholic. Kathleen had drinking issues, and they, it was just a toxic situation mm. um, that if they had stayed together, nothing good would have come of it. They definitely perpetuated each other's addiction, and it was uh, definitely a bad situation. There have been accounts of, during the early searches, Kathleen and Tim having a conversation, and Kathleen saying the reason why she's up here is because of me, and that's been uh, elaborated on and speculated on and... Um, sort of misconstrued and when you look at the context of everything that you just explained she's she's fallen off the wagon she has a phone call with mora it upsets mora mora leaves it doesn't make it's not that far of a stretch to think that kathleen might make that comment to tim and say she's up here because of me because i talked to her i upset her and that's why she went up but there's so many there's so much talk out there about how you know tim had been a part of her disappearance and they were directly talking about that moment that she was, she was gone because of her. Right. Like that, that was like, that was the moment where Kathleen was about to break on the secret or something like that, which we know is not the case, but uh, yeah, that was, that was the implication of that story. I think. Have you ever suspected Tim Carpenter? I haven't myself because I don't think, he would be capable of pulling something like this off. Like Tim was nice enough, but I don't think he had 
the brains to really pull something like this off this seamless. Um, you know, it's just, I've, I've never really put much credence to that just because I knew Tim, he wasn't some kind of mastermind. I could not see him pulling something like that off. And if he did, he deserves an Academy Award because you would not get that from him, Hmm. you know? But you had a pretty good relationship with him. I did for years. Yeah. Um, until I realized how bad his relationship was with my sister, Hmm. which took a little bit of time. It was kind of, you know, behind, behind closed doors for a while. And then when you find that out, it's, it all makes sense. Yeah. When did they end up splitting? Oh, geez. When, I don't know exactly when it was. I think it was maybe 2014 or 15, I think. I'm not 100% sure. I don't know the exact time frame. Did you maintain any contact with Tim? I did. After? I used to I used to talk to him every once in a okay. while. Um, he, he worked at the dump in Hanover every once in a while to stop and say hello, see how he was doing. Because he was, he was good to me. He was never, you know, he was always, you know, very friendly and, you know, supportive of me i even stored my motorcycle in his garage for a little bit just because he let me do it and uh so i had a relationship with him for a while until i found out the full extent to how bad their relationship was and then that was kind of kind of it for me yeah did you ride your motorcycle here i did not no oh, okay. not today <laughs> not today but I imagine that must be pretty confusing too. When uh, when you know people the uh, people are talking about is, is my my former brother in law potentially involved in this? And oh my god, he had a red truck at that time too. And there was a story about the red truck. And look, there's this video where he's talking and he's right in front of the red truck. Um, so I can see where that would be confusing. Um, but yeah, I've thought about it. Yeah, you yeah. Know, you confront that, and mm-hmm. it's kind of like if that's really the case. <laughs> You know, that's, that would be pretty insane, but I just don't see it. It just doesn't make much it sense. It doesn't, yeah. doesn't compute for me. I don't see it working out. But You physically saw him with his truck right around the time of the disappearance, right? Yeah, yeah, and I didn't see anything strange about it, you know. Um, I was very familiar. I helped him wash it many times. I was very familiar with that truck. I didn't see anything that would indicate that, and, you know, I, I just don't hold much much faith in that. And they talked about the red truck being an older model. His was like more rounded. It was like a 99 or a 2000, I think it was. Okay, I don't think yeah. it fits the description of what has been discussed. That's right. Yeah, yeah. Grand Canyon University makes earning your degree possible with over 130 academic programs for traditional campus students with more than 80 bachelor's programs offered online. GCU provides you with the personal support you need from complimentary unofficial transcript evaluations within 24 business hours to scholarships, academic support, and your GCU graduation team led by your own university counselor. Find your purpose at GCU. Private. Christian. Affordable. Visit gcu.edu. So what were the early days of the search like? Speaking of that, what was your experience um, from the moment you, as much as you can recall, of course, yeah. but when you just went up there for the first time? And So I, when I discovered this, um, I had come home from school and I walked up the stairs of our house and there was Kathleen. I believe Tim was there. My brother was there. My mother was there. And possibly, I don't remember if Fred was there or not. He may have already gone up, but um, we, we all found out Mara's, Mara crashed her car. She's missing. She's up in New Hampshire. And Freddie and I looked at each other. It's like, we're going now. <laughs> so we went up there the next morning. Um, the one thing I do know is that the reception that we got in the police station was always very strange. It was almost as if we were a nuisance, which always struck me as weird. But as far as the search, we spent all of our time up there scouring the area looking for footprints posting flyers on every business in woodstock lincoln anywhere around and we spent a good probably almost three weeks up there um it was it was pretty intense and um 
you know, I got back and that's where my high school days got kind of screwed up because I was gone for so long. I lost credits because of it. And in order to dig out of that, I would have had to do a crazy amount of work. And at that time I was overwhelmed that I couldn't do it. <laughs> I just didn't, I didn't dig in and get everything I needed to get done. So I lost a semester's worth of credits there. Fast forward to when I graduated, I had to leave that school and graduate somewhere else. You know, which kind of, you watch all your friends walk across the stage from the, from the crowd. It's kind of one of those things. Yeah. And it's tied to the, you know, your sister being missing too. So yeah. it reminds you of that. Yeah. Yeah. So it, it was kind of a screwed up time. And, uh, you know, I had scholarships and things. I still managed to get some, but um, having to leave the school and graduate elsewhere was kind of strange. And that was one of the ripple effects that it had on me personally. Um, not that it, you know, not that it matters. I turned out fine, but that was, that was interesting. But uh, as far as the search effort goes, we searched you know there were helicopters dogs you know i was there for the initial dog search when the scent disappeared i was on the street when that happened okay uh what was what happened it's the dogs went a few hundred you know a couple hundred yards down the road and lost the scent almost right by rick forcia's home what did they do when they lose the scent they just told us about it they lost the scent no, like do they did do they stop did you see yeah them? Like, they just they just, i think they just sat down as soon as they lost the scent and it, did they go up Bradley Hill at all? Did they no. go onto Rick's property? No, not that I saw. No. But I wasn't watching right. completely the whole time. But right. I do know that they lost the scent right in that vicinity. Right. So. I was just curious because I think a lot of people think that they go up there and that the dogs go onto the Forcier property. Uh, and I'm pretty sure they didn't simply because you'd have to get permission to do that. Exactly. And, you know, we were even told that at that point, the scent would have been deteriorated anyways. Yeah. So it wouldn't have been so much time had passed from the initial accident to mm -hmm. when we got up there to when all of this stuff came about. And we were, we were told that the scent's not going to be as reliable as it should be right now. There's cars passing, there's other people. And these were search dogs, not cadaver dogs, yes. by the way. Mm -hmm. right. Exactly. And which yeah. there is a difference. Yes. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. That would make sense in that in that uh, realm to have the search dogs at that point. Um, you know. And uh, we, do you recall if there was like a side of the street? Was it like a, I believe it was the right side. It was yeah. okay. So if she was walking, like if if there was a sidewalk there, it would have been near the sidewalk. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. On force your side. That would be the side. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Was there a lot of snow? Yeah, a ton of snow, and that's why we know she didn't go off the road because there's no way you wouldn't have seen footprints, a body print. If she fell into the snow, there'd be very obvious signs of her going into the woods. What was the uh, wild Ammanusik river like? Do you remember what that was like then? Um, I know it was, I don't think it was like terribly full. I think, I don't think it was, it was a ton of water in it at that particular point, but I, it's kind of hazy. I've come to call the wild Ammanusik the mild Ammanusik. I don't know when, it gets wild. I think maybe Usually isn't maybe in May when there's like a certain spot that's nowhere near where Mora went missing. But that's another thing that we should. I, I always want to put out there. Maybe is, maybe because it it twists maybe it so twists, much like yeah. a snake, and like, that's why it's called wild. That could be a yeah. I don't know. Just maybe. just an idea. Clear up that uh, it's poorly named is what I'm saying. Yeah. Well, <laughs> it's not it's not raging uh, currents most of the year. That that is what we're the point we're I've getting. Never at. seen it raging. I've never seen it raging either. <laughs> yeah, maybe yeah. during the spring thaw. Yeah. Maybe. Mm -hmm. But but not even there. I've gone up there yeah. in May and April, and I've never seen at the that stretch. It's always like, is this even a river? It's like you can always see rocks there. It's never, no one's getting swept away. By There's that just river. that video on YouTube that people point to with uh, with like ice and uh, like the river thawing. I, I don't know what part of the Amanusic that's on, but got me. 
And you think about it, at that particular time, it was frigid cold, too. Yeah. So it wouldn't have been... It, it wasn't wouldn't have been thawing. Ice- yeah. yeah. So. How long into the search did you start looking deeper into the woods there? And how long into the search did you notice the helicopters and the dogs? Um, I think it was like a weekend, if I remember correctly. That um, weekend? Yeah, I believe so. And, you know, you know, they, they did they did a wonderful search once, you know, the fish and game and everyone got involved. They were very thorough. The problem is it was already too late. Mm-hmm. Too much time had gone by, which was one of the biggest frustrations in the whole thing. It was just yeah. the, the beginning of it, you know. Yeah. I mean, unfortunately, I feel like that's pretty common in a small town. When someone's missing, they don't, what is it, 48 hours before they're officially a missing person and you can officially start searching? I'm not yeah, sure what that is, but either way, like, it's too long. And that's that's where, you know, like, Fred's frustration comes in with, you know, state police and everything else. It's, I think about it in these terms, you know, Mr. Monaghan came upon the scene, mm-hmm. turned around and went the other way. What if that was your wife, your daughter, your sister? Is that how you would have reacted? You're in a cruiser. Can't you drive to five ten miles down the road and turn around just to do a thorough job be professional about it you just came from a certain direction you didn't see anything why wouldn't you just do that just to be thorough about it that's a huge frustration yeah and that's that's where fred's you know animosity comes from is that right there Mm -hmm. and then you hear you know things about karen mcnamara would have seen her not necessarily mara was very very smart she saw headlights i could see her ducking ducking off to the side of the road or something getting out of the way and she didn't have a spotlight she wasn't concentrating on that she saw the police she assumed it was handled and was driving to where she needed to go she wouldn't necessarily have seen anything even if mara was on the side of the road you know so that's that's another frustration you hear that it's like well witness a would have seen her not well not necessarily yeah witness a really wouldn't have been looking Mm -hmm. right you know yeah it's it's an easy thing to conclude yeah and but not necessarily. But it's just certainly not a definitive conclusion, right? Right. Yeah. Uh, what was it like uh, knocking on the neighbors' doors up there? Some of the residents' doors. I didn't do a lot of knocking on doors so much as businesses. Like I was more okay. out in the towns, you know, asking permission to post flyers and everything. Um, Fred was the one really pounding on doors with the police, and that's why he knows the ins and outs of all of that. Yeah. Um, Fred, Freddie, and I, uh, my brother. We Like I said, we went to Lincoln, we went to Woodstock. I think we even went to Conway. We went up to Bartlett, all over the place. And that's kind of what our role was. And then um, I think believe Bill's mother was there as well at one point. And uh, what was the reception you got from a lot of the store owners? Oh, they were very, they were... very welcoming. They were, you know, please Great. feel free. You know, they were extremely gracious. And most of the people up there are, Yeah, you know. Mm-hmm. Most of the people are. Uh, Tim and I do get a lot of emails uh demanding us to keep their names and their locations out of the show and out of anything that comes, uh, you know, by way of video. Do not talk about my house. Do not talk about my area. Do not talk about my community. How do you feel about that? I try to put that shoe on my own foot. I try to put myself in their situation from their perspective. You have a lot of people up there that were thrown into the limelight by no fault of their own. Right. You know, there's a lot of publicity around this thing. Mm-hmm. Um, people's businesses get disrupted. There's traffic constantly. Not everyone's going to be respectful and stay off property, stuff like that. I understand where that comes from. I can't blame them, per se, for reacting that way. Because if I were, if I had a business and my whole life got disrupted by something that I had nothing to do with other than being in the wrong place at the wrong time, I can see wanting it to be to be removed from it to some extent. Yeah. Um, it is a bit frustrating, especially when you, you know, we're up there doing something innocent and we're being greeted with animosity, but I can't blame them so much. 
and I feel for the, for their struggle with this whole thing and the frustration, you know, um, it's, it's just something we'll have to deal with. And I hope, you know, maybe one day I'll meet some of them and be able to just, you know, kind of patch, patch that a little bit. But, yeah. um, I do feel that frustration. It must be awkward for them too. You know, when you, when you think about it, like, especially if, if, you know, a lot of people think that, uh, you know, your sister was met with foul play, like to think like, oh, there's a, there's someone in, in the midst here that we don't know who it is. Like that must be pretty awkward and kind of a, an uncomfortable thing to get. Yeah. And you, you know, you have suspicions cast on you yeah. and you're, you know, scrutinized and put under a microscope and you just want to live your life. So I, I get it, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. I mean, we've, we've been through it, but we'll go through it because Mars, my sister, it's Fred's daughter. We have to go through it. We always will. But someone that's removed from it, you know, having to endure all of that, I can see the frustration there, mm. 100%. There's also a good balance of people who welcome it as well. Oh, of and, course. And you've experienced that, the, you know, current owners of certain homes up there. And even people who aren't connected have reached out to us to tell us that the next time we're in the area and if we need to use a crowbar, give us a call because I got a tool shed full of stuff and I'll help you. I'll help you wherever you can. Yeah. And, uh, great, great email. And, and he even said, I think they would cook us dinner. Didn't he say that? Promised us dinner. Yeah. (laughs) Wife was a great cook and promised us dinner. Yeah. It was based on the story we told on the podcast, having to need a crowbar and we had to drive into town and he heard that he was like, I'm right up the street. Just call, just call me or come by if you need any tools anytime. So you do get that too. And that is such a really nice email to hear. Yeah. That's one of the things that has stricken me the most about this whole process is, the innate goodness of people there are so many people so willing to devote themselves to this to give mm-hmm. us resources to give us time to give us money you know the GoFundMe. Right. It's, it's absolutely unbelievable it that's why impressive. i'm here yeah mm-hmm. because i feel i need to give back in some way for that and like giving a little personal insight is you know something that i can do and also make sure that people know that it's duly appreciated yeah you know, i it's appreciated more than anybody could know um by myself and my family what's uh some of the most resonating memories you have of Mora? It revolves around being up in New Hampshire. Um, one of the best ones, I don't know if I've told this before, is there was a place that we used to call the Moose Meadow. Um, and Mara and I, it was last year, last year we went camping, we went on to a trail and we took sleeping bags and we camped out on a mossy hill at night. And we always went mood, like moose watching. What's wrong with you? <laughs> I'm, I'm, dude, I'm a maniac like she was. She, you see, she brought that out in me. So, <laughs> Not sleeping outdoors unless there's some form of cover over my head. Yeah. So, so we slept on a mossy hill in a known moose path. And we woke up at about 4.35 in the morning and went across the street to the moose meadow. And we walk out in this meadow and we see a baby moose in the middle of the meadow. And then you look past baby moose and there's mama moose and she didn't like it. and mama moose started running Uh charging at us and we both were sitting there like looking at each other we ducked behind a couple of trees like what do we do what do we do what do you do because mom's mama's gonna kill us (laughs) and uh, i remember i went to look and see where she was you hear the galloping and i go poke my head out to the side and um it spooked her and she turned around and ran the other way (laughs) so wow yeah it was it was pretty intense (laughs) that does sound really intense for anyone who is being charged by a moose Curtis Murray has the what to do. You hide behind a tree and then you poke <laughs> your head out. At the last minute, it'll spook the moose and the moose will run away. <laughs> yeah. so well, it worked first out. thing, do not <laughs> go into the woods and sleep in a sleeping bag on a mossy hill. Yeah. There are ticks there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, probably. But it was a lot of fun. Um, yeah. like, and I did that post about the rope swing. That's, yes. another, that's another one. You know, that's 
we spent some time out there, and that's kind of where Mara broke me out of my shell. I'm kind of a maniac now because of that sort of thing. She brought that out in me. What's the rope swing? So the rope swing, it's just it's just a tree at the campground that we used to go to when Mara used to go on and put on all sorts of flying acrobatic displays for people <laughs> because she was insane. She'd be doing backflips and front flips and twists and turns, and you name it. Off the rope swing into the water. Yep, and uh, she would try to convince me to do it, and I was too chicken. <laughs> so I'd go up and sit there, and my knees are knocking, and I wouldn't do it. And then I'd go down, I'd go back up again, try to do it. And like I said, she was always really, she wasn't a jerk about it. She was really, it was a healthy thing. She was encouraging me, you know, go for it, bud. It's going to be fun. You're going to love it. And then when she finally got me to do it, I got that little rush. <laughs> and then from there I go and we're going kayaking and I jump off the bridge to go to the kayaks and then ah. we go to the, this place called Indian's Leap that's 50 feet in the air into a little pocket ravine where you can smash yourself on the rocks and I'm jumping off of that. This is where the thrill seeker in you is born. Exactly. It's why I ride a motorcycle now. It's all that stuff stemmed from that period of time. It was pretty awesome. Wow. You said that she said just go for it, but was that her nickname for you? Did she call you Bud? Yeah. Yep. She always called me Bud. That's, yeah, and it was, she was constant. <laughs> Do you think that she would have... Uh fought back oh 100 percent. mara was um she was tough a lot tougher than she looked because she was very thin but there's no question she would have she would have fought tooth and nail and whoever it was that got a hold of her i know what it would have taken for them to have taken her down so i go to these places and i see these places she may have ended up and i know the fight that she would have put to get there so it's very difficult to confront that you know she was extremely athletic could run like the wind and you know, could fight. She went through military training to an extent, I don't think like major combat training, but she was combat trained to some extent through basic and everything. Um, so yeah, she would have fought very hard once she knew something was up. Why do you think she didn't accept the help from Butch Atwood? I don't know. I, I could see that kind of being a freak, you know, Butch Atwood was kind of intimidating and maybe she hadn't figured out what she wanted to do yet. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, I could see her trying to jump in a car and get out of there because Butch would live right around the corner. Maybe she just wanted to go, you know, um, and just wanted to accept help from somebody else and get, get out of Dodge for a little bit. Yeah. Um, you know, I could see she was, Mara was a little bit naive that way. You know, she was very, very smart, but not so much street smart. So she may have trusted somebody a little bit too much and it went, it went wrong. Do you think she hit her head on the windshield? And by all appearances, it looks as if she might have. Um, in you know in that case that was another frustration for us if you have a possible head injured girl that had maybe been drinking and frigid temperatures out in the middle of the woods that's dangerous why was it not taken more seriously in the beginning you yeah know? instead of oh she's drunk she's going to come back it's like those are life-threatening conditions right and to be clear you're not saying that you at any time or maybe you might have but to be clear you're you're not saying that she went into the woods and drank herself into hypothermia and accepted it and passed in the woods no. You're just saying why, given those circumstances, they knew alcohol was in the car, they knew the temperature, and they knew that it was a young woman. Why didn't they consider that and then take it more seriously? Exactly. Okay. Yep. Are there any areas of interest you want to see us search? I mean, where we're going on Force years hunting area, mm -hmm. that's definitely one of them. And you've covered a lot of different ones, you know, with the A-frame and everything else. I know Fred has talked about possibly Jeff Williams in some of his properties, but uh, I don't know how possible that is. But, I mean, you guys have done a very good job at, you know, focusing in on, you know, the good areas that have been under suspicion for a long time. Force here is obviously a big, you know, a big focus also. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Take it step by step, I guess, right? Yeah. Have you ever met uh, Rick Force here? No, I have not met him personally. I've seen him before, but I've never actually met him. Did you ever meet Butch Atwood? 
I did not. No, not personally. I know, like I said, Fred did a lot of the face-to-face with those those folks, and he was up there considerably more than I could be being in school and everything else. What did he get from from all those all those people? He didn't think anything. They had like anything to do with it. From, Either of those guys. Yeah. Yeah. No. Um, I know Forcier. He he's read him to not have anything to do with it, but you know it still needs to be pursued. One hundred percent. You know the response. Um, like I said, when we got to the police station, was we were more of a nuisance than anything else. Yeah. You know, Mr. Williams was cold, and it was I, I was just stricken by that. It's like this is our sister. This is Fred's daughter. Like. You would think you'd have a little bit more compassion for the situation. We wouldn't be something you just want to shoo away and get out of my way and let me do my job. You know, it's kind of, it was very odd. So you spoke to Jeff Williams yeah, he asked in me, 2004. Yeah. He, the family goes into the police station in Haverhill. He asked very few questions of me because I was a little brother. He didn't think I had anything to offer really. But uh, yeah, he asked just a few questions. I don't exactly remember what they were. Probably describing more and, you know, anything I knew about what she was doing at the time. But um yeah, that was about my the extent of my interaction with him. I didn't speak with him much after that. When you saw the uh, those stills from the ATM uh, security camera, what was uh, what was what was going through your mind when you saw that? Uh, I welled up a little bit. Yeah, right there, seeing Mara like that. It was the first time I had seen that. It's the first time I'd seen her animated, really, except in home videos in relation to this whole thing. So it kind of struck when we were being filmed for the documentary, it just struck me. And I don't know if anyone noticed, but I probably may have had a tear trickling down my eyes yeah. or down my face. It's just because it's hard to, it's hard to confront it. And it kind of was taken back by it a little bit. Just think, what, what is she going through? What's going through her head right now? Right. You know, because she just kind of had a blank look in her face. It's hard to read what she was going through. So I kind of thought about that at the time. Did you have any opinion on how she was dressed or? You know, it was typical for her. Okay. It's, you know, running clothes and athletic stuff. That's, she wore that, you know, a lot. She wasn't one to get all fancy, you know, dressed up or anything like that for the most part, unless it was a special occasion. Do you have any theory at all as to why she bought the alcohol? Uh, probably just because she, she enjoyed having a drink. <laughs> when she got up there, she probably wanted to go clear her head, you know, you know, loosen up a little bit, enjoy herself. She wanted to go get away, whether she was meeting somebody who knows. But I could definitely see her going up and just, you know, wanting to throw a few back and loosen up and get through whatever she was going through. Mm-hmm. And that seems like what she was doing, going to get away for a little bit, clear her head. And she had all the stuff to come back to her life, her, you know, school books and, you know, everything else, running clothes. And why would she bring all that? You know, people have brought up the suicide thing. I don't buy it. Yeah. You wouldn't bring all of that. You wouldn't go buy alcohol like that in such different types and everything else if you were just planning on going up to drink yourself to death and go disappear. Right. You know, so that's never, that's never computed. I've never bought that at all. Was there ever... A time where she spoke to you about an area in New Hampshire that she may have said that's a good place to go and like clear my head or any indication as to where she was intending to go that you might remember from any conversation that you had from her in the past that might have been even unrelated. Like I really love that place like I can just like spend the weekend there I just can clear my head there. No not not really in particular other than that area in general. I see. You know, so, I mean, that area, like, was one of the happiest places for all of us. You know, we had so many good times there. It's where we all came together as a family and had the most fun we've ever had. Mm-hmm. You know, hiking, mountain biking, you name it. So going up in that area is a place that there was a lot of love and a lot of positive energy. And that's probably why she would head up there, just to, you know, relax and, you know, kind of bask in that, those memories. Yeah. Just to get her through whatever she was going through. I could definitely see that. 
Uh, Fr- Fred seems pretty convinced that she was headed to Bartlett. Yep. Is that, uh, do you know why he th- he thinks that? Is it just the route that she was on? Yeah, he, most likely, because yeah. she could have cut across Bear Notch Road, got down to Bartlett, or even going through Conway. I think Bear Notch would have been closed at that point. But, you know, Bartlett, we spent a lot of time there, you know, anyways. Okay. You know, there's all sorts of resorts and things, so she could have been going there. Were you and your family familiar with Route 112 or that? pathway or it was you were so that so coming from highway 91 to or was it more like uh sort of a product of you know was more being on route 112 sort of a product of her taking 91 to get to that spot i think that's probably what it was um because 112 leads right into lincoln you go across k Comangus, there's a campsite we used to camp at and everything else and all those memories and you can get to bartlett and everything else from that that area okay so you don't think she was lost or anything she was going across to that way because well that's the way she knew where she she knew where she was going for 100 because we usually came from like route 93 get off exit 32 Mm -hmm. you know that's how we got there but she was obviously coming from amherst i've done that drive Mm -hmm. and uh that's really the best way to get there yeah you know straight up 91 and then you have to go east to get to the mountains Mm because they're on that side yeah exactly yep what was the talk between you and her about the condition of her Saturn at the time? Um, I had a conversation with her out in the front yard um, about the rag and the tailpipe, of all things. Um, her car was... Okay. So her car was sputtering oil. It was on its last leg, smoking. It was just... It was garbage. It was definitely on its way out. And she and Fred were 100% going to get her a new car. And I had a conversation with her about that. She told me about putting a rag in the tailpipe and kind of telling me, oh, my dad taught me to do this so that the car doesn't smoke so I can, you know, drive around and not get pulled over. And that was, you know, a legitimate thing. I talked to her about it in the front yard. And I don't know how well advised that was being an adult now and thinking about it, but uh, that that's where that whole thing came from. Well, that's right. great. That's a, an amazing account. I, I had no idea. Did she demonstrate? I mean, she started the car and she showed me the smoke. She's like, oh, look at right, the smoke. Right, and, okay. But uh, yeah, that's I, I did have an actual conversation with her about wow. that. So when all that was going on and yeah. there was so much speculation, I knew exactly where it came from. Right. You know. So no doubt in your mind, she put it there herself for that reason that Fred said to put it there. Yeah. And that's, you know, that's why Fred said that he told her. And that's mm-hmm. exactly what happened, which it did work. It masked the smoke. But it was like a, a temporary thing, and the rag would always blow out anyways. Yeah. You know, so. Do you think she, so it would blow out anyway? Yeah. Do you think she made it to New Hampshire with the rag in there, or she put it in there at some point? I would think she probably put it in there at some point. After she got off the highway, probably. Yeah, maybe huh. on a stop or something. Maybe she pulled over, who knows. But Yeah, interesting. Okay. Yeah, it's really compelling, actually. Yeah, I think that, because, yeah. Wow. Yeah, Bernie. So she was trying to prevent the police kind of at that point, not so much before, but probably because... Maybe she had seen somebody or who knows. Probably because if it's smoke, right, at night, you're not really seeing it like you would, I don't know, like, you know what I mean? Like on a highway, I feel like that just it would dissipate Yeah, quicker. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, having a car that sputtered myself, even every time I think about this and think about the uh, reasoning for putting the rag in the tailpipe... I could have, you know, you're, you're, you are, your car is climbing a, a mountainous area when you're going up into the White Mountain region. You are continually ascending. So I can imagine her applying more pressure to the accelerator and having it pop or sputter. And then finally she's just like, well, I'll just see what happens if I put the rag in the tailpipe. Maybe it's going to stop it and I can get more power, you know, going up this hill or something or trying to get out of the, trying to get out of the accident. Trying to, you know, assuming right. that there'd be more power somehow associated with keeping the the 
car from smoking. Right, which logically seems to make sense to me. I, don't I would probably do it today. Cars, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, it could have been a panic mode thing too. She couldn't yeah. start the car. Wanted to try anything she could do, right. and stuff. The right, just tried it because right. she tried to start it numerous times. And we and know that, that. That's kind of our working theory is that she told Butch, uh, no, she didn't need help because she wasn't convinced that she couldn't get the car out of there at that point. You know, yeah. she thought she could. Yeah, and that yeah. could be the case yeah. for sure. And we have the accounts. We have the flurry of activity by the trunk. I mean, everything sort of lines up to she went into the trunk and was searching around for a rag and popped it in and then maybe tried to get the car out of there. Did you see anything uh, about Mora with uh, relationships, with her relationship with Bill? And, and this talk about her being this promiscuous young woman that was just wild about campus? Was there anything that you saw about that that rings true no i mean not particularly i know she and bill had some problems and maybe she wanted to go and see see what was out there you know that's you know people do that all the time it's part of growing up that's part of going through the college experience mara was very shy i do know that he was very reserved um but you know i mean i i didn't see anything for that firsthand but she also she wouldn't have discussed that with me i was a little brother that would have been a weird topic to bring up yeah you know Actually, there's one other thing I wanted to get out there was my mother. Yes. So a lot of people have speculated as to why was she not part of the search efforts. I can speak firsthand to why. When this whole thing happened, my mother, first of all, she had injured her foot, so she was lame anyways. She was also going through chemo and radiation, and she was sick. Like, she was not capable of being up there. And it ripped her heart out to not be up there because she would have been. My mother was a very fierce, independent strong woman and she would have been there had she could have um she literally you know like the game on the radiation just drained all of her energies so many people have seen and she wasn't up there not up there by choice it was circumstance Mm -hmm. um there was nothing strange about it she wasn't hiding anything she wasn't not concerned she had a picture of mara right over where she slept she looked at it every single day you know my mother was of all things she was singularly devoted to us kids um, she, there were, there was talk about, you know, times when we didn't have food or anything like that. My mother was a single mother. We always had everything we needed, clothing, food, all the bills are always paid. The lights were on. She fought tooth and nail for all of us. And to hear her questioned is very, very difficult because she was, to give you an example of the type of mother that she was, there were six of us that lived in a small house, four bedroom house. Each of us kids had our own bedroom, and my mother elected to sleep on the couch so that all of us kids would have a comfortable place to sleep. She slept on the couch as long as we were in the house, never made us combine bedrooms or anything like that. Um, and she, you know, as far as a mother goes, she was the most supportive, loving person you could you could ask for. She had her issues, as all people do, but as as far as, you know, being a mother, she was absolutely awesome. And a lot of who I am and all of, all of us um, stems directly from that. Is there anything you'd like to see from us or this podcast? I mean, you guys have been doing a wonderful job keeping this out there. Um, you know, what you've been doing has been awesome. That's why I wanted to come here and support this. Thanks um, a lot. Yeah. It's, um, it's just keeping this thing alive, spreading the word in a positive way. Um, that's the most important thing. Um, it's, it's amazing we have as much traction as we do after coming up on 15 years. Yeah. And, um, you know, it's, as long as I draw breath, I'm never giving up on this anyways. And I'm the youngest of all of us, so I'll, I'll be around for a while. But, you know, it's, like I said, it's just keeping it alive and out there. 
yeah. in a positive message about it. There's a large community out there. We know, we, we see how many people listen and we know that there are a lot of people that are really compelled and taken by your sister's case, you know, and yeah. they, they want to see it solved. They want to see this end. If they had known her, you know, the world lost a gem of a human being when she went missing. You know, she was a very, very special person. That's why I can't, you know, it, obviously she's our sister, but she's more than that. She was just just such a magnanimous, magnetic person, and the world lost somebody extremely special. And that type of injustice, you, it can't, I, we can't let it go. It just can't happen. You know, the way that, from the way that she was with me, to, you know, I can see if she got into her nursing career, the impact she would have had on all of her patients. I can see her kids, you know, with the little dimples and the smiles and how good a mother she would have been. She got robbed. We all did. We can't let that go. That has to, somebody has to answer for that. So keeping this thing alive is just, we have to do it.